So let's pray together. Gracious God, calm our hearts and our minds that we might focus on nothing but your presence, your grace, your love for all people. And uh, Lord, help us to take your word now that we read to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading first of all from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And then these words from the Gospel of Luke, the parable of Jesus. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then these words from going back now to biblical history, the story of, uh, from the story of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because, because I was naked. So I hid. One of the games that children love to play is hide and seek. And when I was a kid, I played a lot of it. And it was a big neighborhood event. I mean, all the kids would come out to play. That's when kids used to go outside to play. I mean, amazing. Not looking at screens, but actually outside. And so we would play it by the hour, actually. And you know how the game goes. Uh, you know, somebody is it. And they count to 100. And everybody goes out to find a, a really good hiding place. And then uh, you hide until you hear the liberating words, 
Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. You know, I was thinking about that, and it occurred to me just the other day that I never had a clue <laughs> what ollie, ollie, oxen free was about. Like, who's ollie? And what's the, what's, what's, why is he offering free oxen? And, and what does that have to do with hide-and-seek? And, seek? and uh, so I do what I always do now when I don't know something. I Googled it. <laughs> it is so cool, man. I am, you know, information that's right there. Uh, and uh, so I, I discovered that the original words were, probably comes out of the medieval ages, you know, middle ages, the original words were, all ye, all ye, outs are free. In other words, you're all free to come out now. In general English usage, all ye, all ye, outs are free, morphed into all ye, all ye, oxen free. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, that's it. So you can't say you don't learn anything in church. <laughs> Stick around me. You'll learn all kinds of interesting tidbits. What we have here in the scripture lesson this morning in Genesis is history's first example of hide-and-seek. Only this is pretty serious business. It's no mere game. We find Adam and Eve hiding behind bushes, hoping against hope that God will not find them. God is seeking them, expecting the man and the woman to join him in their daily walk through paradise. And not seeing them, God calls out. Where are you? The question is an important one. It is, in fact, the first question asked in the Bible. The first question God asks of humankind. Where are you? God, of course, knows where we are. The question is, do we know where we are? It's a question designed for us to address. It's not a question of geographical location that one can, you know, just pull out your smartphone and do Google Maps. But it's a question of relationship. God is asking, where are you in terms of your relationship with me? Excuse me, I'm a little bit scratchy. Where are you in your relationship with me? It's a spiritual question. But something had dramatically changed in Adam and Eve's relationship with God. I mean, they used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the evening. I love that image. Uh, and the man and the woman would delight in God's loving presence and, and in the richness of his fellowship. And the relationship with God and with one another was characterized by this wonderful sense of openness and transparency. All was right with the world. They were living in harmony with God, with one another, and with nature, just as God intended. I mean, talk about paradise. But then, something happened. Sin crept into the world. Sin is that ugly three-letter word with an I in the middle of it, which tells you a little bit about how it's to be defined. It's about putting yourself in the middle of the universe so that every, everything and everyone revolves around you, around the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. Adam and Eve listened to the tempter who suggested that they could become their own God. If only they would eat of the, true, of the tree of good and evil. And the opportunity was just too juicy to pass up. 
So they ate the apple or the mango or the papaya or the pineapple or whatever it was. And they thumbed their nose at God thereby. And they abused their freedom by choosing to go their own way in willful rebellion and selfish pride. Suddenly that wonderful relationship uh, with, with, with God was spoiled. And that wonderful openness and transparency that was there between the man, the woman, and the God, and the man and the woman, all that was gone. And now they began to hide. They began to hide from God, and they began to hide from one another. Man and the woman, in a sense, you know, it spoiled their own relationship. They began to, to hide from one another, covering up their nakedness with fig leaves. Transparency was gone. So when God came calling, Adam and Eve were nowhere to be found. This whole tragic event is called the fall, Genesis chapter 3. Where are you, God asks. And God's answer is classic. Having been found out, he confesses to God, saying, Well, I heard your footsteps in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And human beings have been playing a version of hide-and-seek with God ever since. I think of some biblical personalities, other biblical personalities, who tried to run and hide from God. Jonah comes to mind. A prime example of someone who is trying to run from responsibility to evade God's call. And God called him to go to Nineveh, but instead he went to Tarsus. It would be like your boss sending you to New York, but you choose to go to Tacoma. <laughs> Jonah thinks he can hide from God, but boy, does he get that wrong. Poor guy he ends up spending three nights in the belly of a big fish. And then he's burped up on some beach. And then he's sent back to Nineveh. He can't escape in the end. And then I think of King David. King David in his lust went after another man's wife by the name of Bathsheba. So he cooked up this plan to send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to the, to the front in war so that he can get himself killed so that he could have her all to himself. David tried to cover it up, tried to hide it, business as usual, only to be confronted with the enormity of his crime by the prophet Nathan. David is overcome with guilt. Jonah and David learn, as Adam and Eve learn, that you, you can run and you can hide for a little while, but a day of reckoning awaits. You cannot be disobedient and hide forever from the consequences of that disobedience. You cannot hide from God. God knows where we are. We have that wonderful psalm, Psalm 139, that reminds us of God's omnipresence. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the, of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. You can't hide from God. And yet we try. 
It's such a typical human response. Anytime we do wrong or we fail to do what is right, we try to justify it or try to blame others or we try to deceive ourselves pretending we actually didn't do it. And then, of course, God was busy doing something else. He didn't see it. David Willard, who is a well-known Christian writer, passed away just the other day, sadly. But Dallas Willard writes about a -a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl in her backyard who one day had discovered the secret to making mud, which she called warm chocolate. Her grandmother had been reading when it was facing away from her grandchild, and she happened to turn around, and then she saw the mess that this child was was creating. And uh, so she got off her chair. She went to pick up the mess and and, uh, told Larissa not to make any more chocolate. And then she turned her chair around so as to, you know, better get a view of of her grandchild. The little girl soon resumed her warm chocolate manufacturing routine with one request, as only a -a two-and-a-half-year-old could ask in such a sweet voice. Don't look at me, Nana, okay? (laughs) Don't look at me, Nana. And Nana, being a little bit codependent, of course, agreed. And Larissa continued to manufacture warm chocolate. Three times, she said, as she continued her work, don't look at me, Nana. Don't look at me, Nana. And then Willard writes, thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrongs. Pastor John Ortberg comments that out of all the prayers that are ever spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one that we least acknowledge making is simply this. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. The most common prayer. I tend to agree with Ortberg. It was the first prayer that Adam prayed after disobeying God. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. Don't look at me, God. It's the prayer of a company executive who tries to cook the books to improve the company's financial statements. Don't look at me, God. It's the prayer of a taxpayer who chooses to cheat on her taxes. It's the prayer of the restaurant employee who steals silverware from the restaurant's kitchen and takes it home. Don't look at me, God. It's the prayer of a student who looks at somebody else's paper during an exam or or goes online to find a pre-written term paper and then turns it in under his own name. It's the prayer of a church member who has an opportunity to spread malicious gossip. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. Anyone who does wrong or fails to do what is right must first say this prayer. Not out loud, mind you. We wouldn't even admit it to ourselves. But our heart prays it, and it can become habitual. You and I can run, we can try to hide, but the guilt and the shame, the fear and the embarrassment catches up with us after a while, and it eats away at us little by little, We find ourselves further away from the God who is seeking us. Now, when God calls out the man and the woman, calls out to them and asks, where are you? 
knowing full well that they are hiding from him. What do you imagine was God's tone of voice? You know, you can ask that question in different ways. Is there harsh judgment in God's words as in, where are you? When I find you, I'm going to skin you alive. I know what you did. You disobeyed me. Come out, you sinners, from behind the bush and face the music. Is that how God asked that question? Where are you? Or do you hear God speak in a tone that reflects rather disappointment, sadness, regret, and a longing to restore what's been broken? Where are you? Where did you go? I thought we were going to walk together. Where are you? Jesus told the parable of the shepherd who left his 99 sheep to go looking after the one that was lost. And upon finding it, he rejoices, puts the animal on his shoulders, and takes it home with joy. There's nothing here of a harsh, punishing shepherd who scolds the sheep. You dumb sheep! Why did you wander away? Come on, you need to be back with the other 99. Get going. No. The good shepherd rejoices. There's relief and elation. The loss has been found. Our God is a God who longs to bring us home, who rejoices when we choose to be found by him. We have a God who says to those who are running away or who are hiding something like what kids will, will say when they're playing hide-and-seek. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. You can all come out now. The outs are free. I paid the price for your sin through the death of my son upon the cross. You don't have to run anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to live with the guilt and the shame and the fear and the embarrassment. Come out from where you're hiding. It's safe now. Come walk with me in the freedom of a new life, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Where are you, God asks. Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I want what's best for you? Walk with me. Come out. Let's walk through life together. Let's enjoy something of paradise once again. Now, you and I may have tried to run and hide from God because of what we have done or what we failed to do. Perhaps we've run away from God and have hid from Him in busyness or in alcohol or in substance abuse or in self-reliance and independence or in a thousand other ways. But however we try to hide, the Good Shepherd never stops looking for us, never ceases in His desire to take us home. But we have to come out from our hiding place, come out from wherever we are. Where are you? It's a question of spiritual relationship. Where are you in terms of your relationship with God? 
Where are you? How is it with your soul? And chances are you are not happy where you are. Perhaps you are tired from running from God, of hiding from Him. Come out. Come out wherever you are. All the all the oxen free. Our God is here. You have been found. Let God take you home. Amen.